Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today we uh, are going to restart a reclaim series. We've been in this uh, sermon series where we're reclaiming things. Uh, we've been reclaiming, and the lights represent our, our reclaimed faith. Uh, we reclaimed our identity and our relationships. Last week we reclaimed our homes. Today, as difficult as it may be, we're going to reclaim our family. And uh, by meaning of that, we are going to reclaim the ministry that God has given us towards our families. And so uh, we just watched a short clip from Christmas Vacation. Uh, this is your holiday appetizer. This is, it's coming. It's coming soon. You're going to have your own turkey probably this week. Um, hopefully not quite as um, steamy as that one. You're going to be sharing a table in the weeks to come with uh, people you probably don't share a table with all that often, with friends and family. And what we are going to attempt to do today is to reconsider the way we approach holidays with others. Because we're officially in this season. It's, it's the time where each of us is going to be invited to reconvene with um, these occasional acquaintances, whether that's the work holiday party, whether that's uh, immediate family or extended family or Cousin Eddie, whatever it is, um, Cousin Eddie. <laughs> cousin Eddie is, we all have a Cousin Eddie, don't we? We all have someone in our life where you go, when I show up to the thing, I just try to avoid getting stuck at the punch bowl with Eddie. And, and so we're going to use Eddie as a little bit of an avatar for uh, all of the difficult family members that we know and all the difficult friends and office workers and all the people that we go, if I go to the holiday party, I just don't want to get stuck at the table with him. So Eddie is going to be our stand-in for your flame-out cousin or your outspoken nephew, the uncle with all the political opinions and conspiracy theories. When you hear someone bring up chemtrails at your Thanksgiving dinner, just you want to walk away and I'm going to challenge you to stick in there. So whether you are in close quarters just with friends and coworkers, or you're going to be going somewhere, uh, this is for you. What we're going to be invited into in our flesh is the time-honored tradition of small talking, shrugging, and avoiding. Dodging questions, avoiding difficult subjects, even just trying to fit in in order to get through. This is me. We try to fit into our birth order. I'm the third born and so I'm a classic middle child. I just hide in the corner. Nobody even knows I exist. And so when I go home, I go from being the leader of my home and someone who's saying, we got to get out and, and preach the gospel. And I go home and I'm like, oh, back in line. And I'm third. And there's my brother who's in charge. And there's my sister, firstborn female. She's in charge too. So we got a lot of people in charge. And then there's just me. And I just go, just don't make waves and let's get back on the plane. And what I'm going to be challenging myself is that that's not good enough. We can do better. I want to challenge you and then challenge me, because this is as much as any message we've ever preached, this is for me as much as it's for you. We need to be challenged to love our families fiercely. And some of you are thinking, you don't know my family. Good. Good. If you have a difficult to love family, this is especially for you. Everybody can sidle up to that pleasant aunt who's just going to talk about nice, pleasant things. And what we want you to do this, this year is to think about how you begin to show the love of God to the furthest and the hardest cases. We want Cousin Eddie to be reeled into the love of God. So you've been called to live from a point of love and to lean into the moment that God is creating for you right now and to love whoever you have access to. 
So today we're going to reclaim your family. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. John writes, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So when, uh, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to, be, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There's a lot happening there. We're going to, like a dry turkey, we're going to carve it into three bite-sized pieces, okay? Three bite-sized pieces. We'll put them up on the screen so you can follow the track here. The three things we're going to take from that today are you need to live from your past, you need to lean into the present, and love toward a future. This is your roadmap for uh, loving your family and friends and coworkers and all of the holidays. This is your roadmap. Live from your past, lean into the present, and love towards a future. So first, we start with live from your past. Note, it does not say live in your past. Live from your past, informed by your past. I love history. History is something I really enjoy. It's a story of what has been that informs what will be. History tells us more about the future than it does about the past. It tells us about ourselves. It tells us um, what to expect because most things we've seen before. Maybe not in the way we see it today, but we've seen it before. Research uh, recently says this is true of people too, that people's history matters. And you know that on some degree, where you're from, your family of origin, sort of those things, those create us in different ways and those form us and shape us in different ways. But recent research has even indicated that intergenerational stuff is at play. Meaning uh, this, did you know that intergenerational trauma is a thing? What does that even mean? Research has said that trauma carries through generations, that your DNA is actually changed as you go. So if you experience a major trauma, let's say your great-grandmother experienced a major trauma, whatever that was, and you put your great-grandmother with her major trauma she then passes that on through DNA to your grandmother who passes that on to your mother who passes it on to you. That trauma is not simply something you experience. It's something that happens intergenerationally. And so everybody you meet, yourself included, carries with you generations of history, of different things that, that make you who you are. Family of origin, your values, your region you're from, it informs so much. History matters. I'm from a Catholic family in South Texas, which is sort of more northern Mexico than it is Texas. People think, oh, Texas, so like cowboy hats. And I go, no, 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 very, very different, more like um, it's northern Mexico. And so uh, for Christmas, this, this scene in Christmas Vacation never made a ton of sense to me because they're having a turkey, which is a Thanksgiving food. Why would you have turkey for Christmas? Everybody knows for Christmas you have tamales, rice, and beans because that's what we have for Christmas. That's our Christmas food growing up is you knew, you got excited, it's Christmas, tamale day. 
and everybody in the city is snaking long lines to the certain tamale places that have the best tamales, and you get your tamales. They ship them nationwide. We might be leaving today to go to Texas, and we might be bringing home frozen canisters of tamales so we can have our Christmas here. But that tells you something. It starts to inform something about people. So as a Catholic kid, I'm a works-based kid. I come from generations of, of good, faithful Catholics. And Catholicism is, there's nothing wrong with Catholicism, but it leans into works, right? It leans towards weighing the scales of good versus bad. And did you do more good things than bad things? And there's a lot of rituals. There's a lot of works involved. What does that mean? That means that if you know my family, you would go, oh, well, the first generation of kids in my family to be raised with grace and Jesus at the center of their identity is my kids. Everybody else historically has been raised with something else. We've been raised in a works-based world. They're raised in a grace-based world. So, so I wonder what kind of intergenerational stuff they carry. I wonder how he parents differently because he grew up in this. And, and all of a sudden, this complex thing starts forming. And as we learn more about each other, we start realizing that there's a lot that goes into making somebody. Every single one of us has a story like that. I've given you the top sliver of mine, and you have one too. And it's unique, and it's uniquely yours. It's who you have been, it's who you are, and it's who you're becoming, all wrapped up into one. And the scripture says, since God loved us, we ought to love one another, which I love because that's a past tense start to that, right? Since God loved us, loved, with a D at the end, loved Yes, he loves you now, but since he loved you, it's inviting you to live from a past that says God loved you first. I think this is an invitation for you to recall your story. If you are someone in here that says you follow Jesus, I would challenge you to recall your story before you head into that holiday party. Meaning this, if God loved you and we as Christians say God saved us, that's pretty religious language, saved, but it's actually super helpful right now. Saved from what is the question. If you've been saved, you've been saved from something. You don't get saved from nothing. You get saved from something. If, if you're drowning and the lifeguard saves you, you were saved from drowning. The lifeguard intervenes and saves you from drowning. So you've been saved from something. And the question is, what is that? It helps us to think it through. Were you saved from the dark things of life? Afflictions and addictions? Were you saved from religion? I was, from self-righteousness or trying to dig myself out of the hole with more works and realizing that if you don't put down the shovel, it just keeps getting deeper. Wherever you were in life, you needed saving. And at some point in your life, Jesus intervened like the lifeguard jumps in the water. Jesus jumped into the pool of sin for you and dragged you out. He saved you. Unless you've forgotten, Romans chapter 3, Scripture says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the state of humanity in desperate need of salvation. So what, what is being said here is no one gets it on their own. No one just kind of like, I figured this out. I got this. I earned this. We all need to be saved. Romans 3 continues in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely. Why? How? By his grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. Jesus saved. 
God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. We talked about that last week. He took our place through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He was patient with us. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is saying that that none of us got there on our own, that all of us required salvation and that Jesus was the one point of salvation for us, that salvation requires Jesus. Why are we going through this? This feels kind of basic. How does this help me love my family? What does it have to do with Cousin Eddie? Because if we don't live from our past and we do not live from our past enough, if we don't live from our past, we forget the fact that we were the ones in the pool drowning. We forget where we were. We forget how far Jesus had to dip down in order to to free us, to save us, to rescue us. We forget. And then we begin to live in a place where it's a lot of work and effort and ugh, these people. And until we see that we are these people and that Jesus came for us and used people in our lives to reel us in, only then do we begin to realize that he wants to maybe use me to help reel someone else in. He wants to use me to demonstrate his his love. He wants to use me. John says, since God loved us, we ought to. This is rooted. Love is rooted in a past. It's rooted in the way that God loved us. And so unless you remember how much God loved you at your moment of greatest need, you will not be able to live in your present with the love required to do what he's asking you to do. When we remember, we look at Cousin Eddie a little differently. We don't see just the jerk to be avoided. We see a reflection of ourselves. We see some part of ourselves in our past where we go, man, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't even know what I needed. Man, I was a hard case too. Man, I gave people a lot of grief, didn't I? Even the best of us, even the the best, all the great works and all the right shine on the outside, even the best of us was flailing on the inside. What you begin to see as you look around your Christmas party is you see some people that are drowning in seas of sin. And then you see people who need salvation. People who are actually desperate. They desperately need the love of God which invites us then to lean into the present. Second part of our roadmap, lean into the present. Because the question becomes, if they desperately need the love of God, who will show them this love? In verse 19 of chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. We love because he loved us first. So, So maybe it's us that needs to be showing this love. Leaning into the present imagines that God, maybe God knew that this moment would arrive. Like maybe God knew that you were going to be where you're going to be, not just today and not just on Thanksgiving Day and not just on Christmas Day. Maybe God knew and he has created a world where you will intersect on the path of life with people who are desperate for God's love. And he says, maybe I want to use you. Here's maybe the, if you're going to remember anything today, maybe this is the line you need to take with you. This is the one for me. The holidays are not an obligation to endure, but an opportunity to embrace. Dwight, leave that up for a minute, because I'm going to tell you, this is my confession moment. We, uh, this afternoon, we're getting on a plane. We're going to land in San Antonio sometime around midnight. We're going to spend five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We're going to have three Christmas, I mean, three Thanksgiving celebrations, try to fit in as many meetings with friends and relatives and people that we, we feel the need um, to love and to see, because it's our one time a year we go home. And then Saturday morning at uh, 3 a.m., 
we're going to get up, get back to the airport, and be back here. And next Sunday, I will be here, and uh, those things will have happened in between. And I look at that week, and I honestly look at that week, and the first thing I think is, what an obligation to endure. People go, are you excited to go see family? And I go, oh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) hi, mom, you know. (laughs) Yes, yes, but the weariness and the exhaustion that comes with the effort to do it is real. And so I walk in, if I'm not careful, looking at an obligation to endure. And I just got to survive this, and we just need to get home so we can come back and live our normal life. And God has said, shame on you. God has set up opportunities along that path that I'm going to have the opportunity to show love and show grace and, and, and be some small beacon of hope for somebody who needs it. And if I'm just trying to survive it, I will skip it and I'll hide in the corner. This is not a season to survive. This is not an obligation to endure. This is an opportunity for us to embrace. This is a season of anointed appointments. You have to recognize you were made for the moments in front of you. So rooted in your story of grace, you have to actually lean into the present, which requires active and intentional uh, participation in the present reality God has set up for you. Active, intentional participation in the story. It requires you to actually believe that God is attempting to use you to be the light in someone's dark season. It requires you to believe that love is an action verb. When God says God is love, and he talks about why we should love others, it isn't why we should feel something about others. It's why we need to act out our love. So your wiring will also help you here. Know who you are. Do you offer encouragement or empathy? Is that your gift? You good at that? Do that. Are you a person who can speak hope into someone's life or can, can just hold their hand and be a ministry of presence? Are you someone who needs to challenge and have crucial conversations with others? Whatever that is, the thing is you have to try. It won't happen if you don't try. James F. Keenan is a uh, Jesuit theologian. And this, this line um, has been rolling around in my heart and my brain for months now. And I can't get it out of my head. And we're actually going to preach it in January. We're going to talk more about this. He said, uh, he defines sin like this. He says, sin is the failure to bother to love. He would say, if you read through your New Testament and look everywhere that you see sin, it's always in situations where someone failured, fa- failed to bother to love. Good Samaritan, kind of go through, you start going through story. Someone just failed to bother. If this is true, if sin is the failure to bother to love, and there's more to it than that, but that's a really beautiful little slice of it. Then your job as you encounter people around the holidays, as you as you find yourself in these smashed up units of parties and celebrations and whatever is awaiting you, your job is to bother to love. Remember what John said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God for whom they've not seen. He's saying you have to bother to love. You have to try. The evidence of your faith, John is saying, is that you bother to love. You can say you follow Jesus. If you don't bother to love your brother and your sister, 
and that's a lowercase b. That could be your brother in Christ, your brother from another mother. That's your brother and sister. If you don't bother to love, then do you even, I don't know if you love God. Live from your past, lean into your present, and finally love towards a future. Love towards a future. So I said we're going to the airport today. Uh, we're headed to spend Thanksgiving in Texas. I did a little research. This is going to shock you. I got a little too deep into this idea. Um, in 2019, I got on a website uh, that looked into uh, the total number of operations that happened at the Detroit Wayne County Airport. Total number of operations that happened in 2019. Operations uh, indicates either a takeoff or a landing. The total number in 2019 was 396,909 takeoffs and landings. 396,000. So let's do some math. So split that in half. You have about 198,000 takeoffs per year, assuming there's not just planes landing and just driving into a ditch or something. So 198,000 takeoffs a year from Detroit. Okay, you with me? This means, if we do a little more math, divide it by the number of days in the year, on average, there are 542 flights taking off every day from the Detroit airport. One of which, only one, will take me directly to my desired destination today. I can get on one of 542 flights. One takes me to see our family in Texas. So 541 wrong flights and one right one. I can live with fear that I'm going to show up at the airport and accidentally get on the wrong flight and end up in Siberia. That's the thing that used to happen. People, you know, that's how Home Alone actually worked. Is he, you know, they get on the wrong flight or, you know, Home Alone 2 worked that way. He went to New York and they went to Florida. Well, we watch that movie now and it's ridiculous because you can't even get in the airport without, you know, a passport and seven vaccine passports and who, who knows what. The point is, there's this thing in you that like, I got to end up at the right place and there's some stress and get into the right place. I got to get to the right gate. I got it in the right time. I have to do all these right things. We have to make a series of dedicated, intentional decisions to get to the airport and get on the proper plane. That's the only way we get to the destination we want is to make a series of dedicated, intentional decisions. There's 542 flights. One of them gets me where I'm going. It's effort. It's work. And that's what we have to do in order to land in the future that we desire. So how does this apply to God's love and our families? I think you can make the leap, but let's go back to 1 John. He says, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. It becomes home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. We're free of worry of getting on the wrong plane. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling and a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is not one of a fully formed love. It's going to take effort and intentionality. It's going to be work for you to go into your home of origin, to your family, to your extended family, to your office party. It's going to be work for you to go in and get to the desired destination. For you, that is, I loved people proactively. I showed grace and love. I was present. I was here. I was listening to the Spirit and the nudge of what I'm supposed to do here. You also have family members that have a destination. We all have an eternal destination. When you walk into a room of people this holiday season, I want you to walk in and don't just see the decorations and don't just smell the food. Look at the spiritual haze that's in the room. There are struggles. There is fear. There are doubts. You have loved ones as you walk into that room that have 
undesirable destinations. That they didn't know that there's only one plane that gets them to where they want to go. The shadow of judgment, we can't deny it. The shadow of judgment looms over listless lives. It looms over the ones we love. It looms over our families. And what you see and how it manifests for you to see is what you're going to see is your people you love, they have this deep desire and longing for meaning. So about the fourth or fifth conversation you have about the weather? Yes, Aunt Prudence, it has been unseasonably warm. Whew. Again, every year. How was the garden? How was your garden? It was great this year. Zucchinis were how big? Wow. That's not a conversation in small talk. That's somebody who's desperate for something of meaning in their life because they're talking about things that are meaningless. You see unmet purpose. When you walk in and, and people are, well, what are you doing? How's your job? How's it going? What are you? Oh, well, you know, you know, show up to work every day, getting through, got to get that paycheck. When you have a conversation with somebody about their job, about their life, about their finances, and it's just one of those like kind of just get through, what time's the game on? You have to read that as this haze of somebody who's desperate for true purpose in their life. They don't have it. Here is where you begin to cultivate compassion for those in the room. Here is where you cultivate compassion for Cousin Eddie. He shows up to the Christmas vacation. He shows up. Why? Because he is desperate for inclusion in a real family. He's the kind of person, if we invited him to the family of God, he'd light up because all he wants is to belong. But you have to see that meaning. You have to be looking for that meaning. You have to have spiritual eyes on. You have to have intentional effort to see what's happening in the room around you. And then you have to recognize that you carry meaning with you. You carry purpose. You carry hope. You have no fear. You, because you have the love of God in you, because you are the ambassador of Christ, you don't have to have fear. By grace, you have been saved. You've already recalled your story. You know where you were. You know where you are. And you have exactly what the, those around you need. You live out the story of faith and hope. You live out meaning and purpose. And so rooted in a past, anchored by Christ, you've been placed in the present to love others towards a future destination. All three go together. But you have to pay attention. Because everyone showing up is in a different spot. So you have to begin to learn their histories. You have to begin to lean into moments. Some just need to know what gate the plane departs from. They're close. They're like, what'd you say? Where it is? Okay, what gate? I can get there. I'm right on the cusp. Other people don't even know that planes exist yet. They are so far off. You just start, you ju you're just going to be starting to barely tell them what air travel is. And they're going to go, whoa, this is weird. Grace is not a concept they're even remotely aware of. It's not your job to save people. It is not your job to save anyone. Your love for the people around you is a nudge into the direction of the source of love. Next week, Nick is going to, hear, he's going to be here to preach uh, Reclaiming Your Witness, and we're going to give you actual practical tools on how to make this happen. What you need to remember is your love is a beacon of light that points to a better way. You don't need to bring Bible handouts. You don't need to show up to Thanksgiving in your brand new t-shirt that says turn or burn, okay? This one is available online if you'd like it. I... I think it might send the wrong message too. You simply need to bother to love. You have to bother to love this year. Be intentional. And because you know Jesus and you've been made right in him and you have his perfect love, you don't have fear. Why would I fear? 
The reason we don't love is more often than not because we fear rejection. We fear if we open up just a little bit, we're going to get rejected. We fear if we open up just a little bit, we're going to have reprisals or we're going to lose relationship with somebody. We have this slight fear that if I'm who I truly am, if I act out who I'm called to be, maybe people will reject me. And the Bible says there is no fear because you have the love of the creator of the universe in you. And so what else could you need? And what if someone else withholds their love from you, you're not going to be incomplete. You are complete in Christ. And so you can be you, fully you, on display without fear. All you have to do is have the commandment that Jesus gives us to love. The commandment that John repeats to love. Love. Because God first loved you, you can now show up in love. We leave this place, this Father's house, we leave the Father's house where we all feel known and we all feel included, we all feel invited, we all feel this warm sense of, of kind of like we're a family together, we're doing this thing together, this is my church family, and we go out into these disparate homes all over the country, and all of a sudden we're, we're in someone else's house, and what we need to do is, is take, the, take the heart of the Father's house with us, that there's no shame and there's no fear, that we can go and just be loved. And when it, goes, when it goes sideways, when it goes wrong, when somebody's not receptive, when something goes off the rails, that's not our fight. Battle belongs to someone else. It's not our fight. We have three things to do. We can live from our past, lean into our future, and love towards a present. I mean, love towards a future. Say it again because I mangled it hard. <laughs> live from your past. Lean into the present. Love towards a future. You have a story of rescue. You were made for this moment, and you represent a future without fear for someone in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, for a season like this. God, we're grateful for uh, the holidays in the way that they interrupt our, our flow. They interrupt maybe the rut that we're in. God, I pray that this year as we encounter the holidays and as we uh, engage with the inv invitations and opportunities around us, God, that you would give us a, um, a courage and a boldness that we would find ourselves rooted in the story that you have given us. Your grace would be thick around us. And as we go to intentionally love those around us, God, would you uh, go before us in that? God, give us little inklings and nudges that, that gratify. Show us where our love is making a difference, where our listening ear is providing hope. Show us where our grace and our mercy in the lives of those around us pushing people towards the destination that is you. Ultimately, God, we are grateful for you. In a week where we will give thanks, let us give thanks for nothing less than you to start with. You have given us meaning and hope and purpose. Thank you. God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.